Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. We're going to continue our series, Wandering Worshippers. This is Wandering Worshippers Part 3. And uh, we've been talking about worship. We've been talking that in worship, uh, there, there's all kinds of, of different ways that we worship. Uh, there's reasons why we worship, and I think that sometimes we have a wrong understanding of what worship is, and we've talked about that worship's not a song. It's deeper than a song. We use songs as directional tools to point us to God, but worship itself is not a song. It is a condition of our heart that's deeper. It's deeper than a song. It's deeper than a style. It's deeper than volume. It's deeper than expression. It's deeper than style. It's something that's deep in our heart. Worship is a condition of our heart. We talked about the wise men the last couple of weeks and their journey as they followed the star over 900 miles and they found Jesus. And, and last week we talked about the response when they found Jesus. The Bible says they saw him. Then they bowed down and they worshiped him, and then they gave to him. I want you to see that progression because that is exactly what worship is. I see him for who he is. My response to seeing him is bowing. My heart, my agenda, my rights, the things that, that, that in me that I want for me, my selfish ambition, it bows. And when that bows, immediately and I, just completely naturally, I give. I give my life, I give my resources, I give my time. I, it, this, is, this is the progression of worship. Now we're going to end this series and conclude with Matthew chapter 2 where we've been, verse 1, but I'm going to introduce a new worshiper to our series. We've been talking about the wise men, but he's, the wise men were not the only worshiper. There, there's a new worshiper that I want to introduce to you uh, today. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, verse 1, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. That was their, that was their reason for finding him. Not to get anything from him, but to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I want you to see this in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly, and they found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. I want to introduce our new worshiper to the series, King Herod. Because the Bible says, and we just read this, that he told the wise men that he wanted to be a part of the worship. He said, I want you to find him because I want to worship him. So you go ahead and find him, and when you find him, come on back and tell me, and I'm going to go to where he is because I want to worship him. I want to worship him. 
As we're talking about this, I, I was thinking this week, my, my boys, I, I love hanging out with my boys, and we always have a good time, and, and so I got two boys, and I'm a little bit competitive myself, and now I don't know if they got that from me, but they got it, okay? And it's there, and so everything turns into a competition. Who's stronger, who's faster, who's bigger, uh, who, who, I mean, just, it's, who can jump the furthest, I mean, just everything's a competition. And so one of the things we do when we go on a walk, uh, we will find rocks, hills, anything that we can push the other one off of, and we will play king of the hill, king of the rock, king of the ant pile, king of whatever. It's just always a competition. And then the competition is who can stay on the rock the longest. And there's these rocks right by our driveway, and every time on a walk we come back, we jump up on those rocks, and then it is king of the rock. And, and, and both boys have erupted into tears at different times because someone else got to the rock first. It's this meltdown. It's like, Jude's king of the rock. Genesis falls to his knees and begins to weep. I mean, it's just like, wow, this, this, is, a really, this is a really intense reaction. And, and, and so the other day, I was telling him, guys, there's actually two rocks because there's multiple rocks. And so they both got up, and they both said, we're king of the rock. And I started saying, well, actually, you know, you can't all be king of the rock. That was my fault. Okay, you know, I tried to bring peace, but there, there, there's only one king of the rock. So I had to designate what rock was important. Like, this actually is the king rock. So if you're on this rock, you actually can be king. So, you know, Genesis over there, he's dejected because Jude's on the rock. and So he gets down. He wants on that rock. And, and then what brothers do ensued, okay? I am just had to pull them off each other. And, and, can I just tell you this as we get started? There can only be one king. I know our culture would like to tell us that there can be a lot of kings. There can be a lot of winners. There can be, I'm just going to tell you there can be one king. That, that, that's it. And the problem with King Herod, if you know the story, is that he wanted to remain as king. And there was ancient prophecies that there would be a new king, that there would be a new Messiah. So when the wise men came to Herod and they said, uh, uh, there's, been a, there's, we, we, there's been a star and we think that there has been a king that has been born, Herod wanted to worship. When he said he wanted to worship, it was not out of sincere motives. He said he wanted to worship because he wanted to know what was threatening his worship. He wanted to worship, he said he wanted to worship Jesus because he wanted to know what was threatening the worship that came to King Herod. See, the, 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 if somebody went and worshipped Jesus as king, they couldn't worship Herod as king. You, you can't worship two kings. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can't work. So Herod knew that if he let this go on, that he would lose the adoration and the worship of the people that came to him. Now let me just ask you this as we get started. Who, who, who's the king of your life? Who, who, this is what I want you to, want to, think, want to think about as we conclude this series. Who, who is the king of your life? John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit, and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Wait, so God's looking for worshipers? That's what the scripture says. It says the, the worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth, these are the worshipers that God looks for, that he seeks. That means God's looking for worshipers. God's seeking worshipers. Not worshipers that worship to a song or to a style. Worshipers that worship in spirit 
and in truth. There's a difference between going through the motions and turning my heart and my affection towards God. There's a difference between acting the part and looking the part and turning my heart towards Him. And the scripture says that God seeks. You're looking for God. Guess what? If you're a worshiper, God's looking for you. How how do you find God? You look for him. How does God find you? You worship him. How, How do you discover God? The Bible teaches us you look for him. How does God discover you? The Bible teaches us you worship him. And when you worship in spirit, in integrity, in authenticity, then God begins to look for you. God loves worshipers. He does. He he loves worshipers. Worship is all over the Bible. God loves worshipers. I would say it this way. God has a weakness for worship. You find people worshiping in the Bible and you find God running to them. You find people worshiping in the Bible and you find God drawing near to them. You find people worshiping in the Bible and you find God drawing close to them. Herod was the king and he was worried that somebody was going to take his worship. If you don't know this about Herod, Herod was actually a, a very ruthless ruler. He, he, he was known for his violence. He was known for his aggressive military tactics. And, and when he came in to, and became king, he took over by storm. Ancient writer Josephus, he says that, that Herod killed three of his own children because he thought that they would try to take his throne. I mean, how cutthroat do you have to be to feel a threat from your kids and have to take out your kids so that it doesn't take out? How selfish do you have to be to try to kill your legacy so you can have a couple more moments in the limelight? How wrong does your thinking have to be to have to eliminate possible threats just because you don't want to lose your throne? Herod told the wise men to go and find Jesus for him and then come back and tell him where Jesus is so he could go and worship as well. Let me just tell you something about this. You can tell authenticity by what someone is willing to do for themselves. Let me say it this way. You can tell sincerity by what someone is willing to do for themselves. I'll show you this. It says, Herod goes, hey, you go find him. See, this is what a lot of Christians do. they don't want to find him for themselves. They they don't want to have to search for themselves. They don't want to have to actually put some effort. He says, Pastor, you go find him for me. And when you find him, come back, tell me where he is, and then, then I'll go worship him. But the problem is many of us battle because we are the king of our own lives. And worship to God threatens the worship of me. And I know it sounds extreme, and many of us are writing ourselves off of, oh, that's not me. But let me just ask you this question. Let me just ask you this. Whoever is king of your life is the king that gets your time, the king that gets your focus, the king that gets your devotion, the king that gets your money. That's really who's king. We can say all we want, God is our king, but the kingship is proven in whom we serve. So Herod says, hey, why don't you go find him for me? And See, you could tell that he wasn't sincere because he wasn't willing to do it for himself. See, when you want to find God, you'll do it for yourself. When you want him bad enough, 
I'm just going to tell you, there's no one else that can search for you. You're going to have to decide that I want God above popularity. I want God more than my pain. I want God more than my throne. I want God more than my comfort. I want him more than the way that I've always done things. I want him enough that I'm willing to look for him myself. I, I want to dive into this and just look at a couple keys uh, about worship and really what worship is as we conclude this series, Wandering Worships, w- Wandering Worshipper. And so I want to look at first, I want to look at the priority of worship. The priority of worship. Herod had a problem with the wise men worshiping Jesus because he knew that there could only be one king. That was why Herod had a problem, is because he knew that there could only be one king. If there was another king, how could he be king? Let me show you this to you. King Herod was actually known, his nickname was King of the Jews. Uh, some, some of you already got it. Did, did you know that when they killed Jesus, they put a crown of thorns on his head and a sign above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. Herod knew that his throne had been threatened because people begin to say and whispers begin to move throughout the nation and throughout the country that there is a new king in town. There is a new king of the Jews. And so Herod had to disguise his intentions and say, I want to worship too. But he didn't really want to worship. He wanted to make sure that he would still stay on the throne of the nation's hearts. Herod represents anything that sits on the throne of your life. As we continue this message, Herod represents anything that sits on the throne of your life above God. I, I, I don't know about you, but I have, I've got some issues, all right? I, I've, I've, got some, I've got some real issues, and they specifically, I got a lot of issues, but I've got some issues in this area, like specifically. When it comes to sports these days, I love sports. I, I love sports. I love football. And, and I really need the Seahawks to beat the Rams today. And I'm praying. I'm interceding, fasting. And it's, it's, it's good. I need them to beat the Rams because I don't want it to come down to Christmas Eve, Dallas versus Seattle on who goes to the playoffs. I don't want that to happen. I love you all too much. All right? I just I don't want that to happen because when, when the lines are drawn, I have to choose. Okay? I just, right now we're good. We're both trying. We're both struggling. But, but on that day, if it comes between us and you, I'm going to choose, okay? It's going to be ugly. So I'm going to be on social media. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. But, but anyways, I got this problem with sports. And this, this is the problem is that when, when I was growing up, when I was young, like even in T-ball, you only got a trophy if you won. Isn't that right? Like, like winners and losers. you got to score more points. And then now I'm being introduced to this new, this new era as my kids are entering sports. And I'm realizing that everybody gets trophies. They're called participation trophies. Participate? What? You get a trophy for showing up? Are you kidding me? You paid a registration fee so your kid could get a participation trophy? I mean, that is appalling to me. We are teaching kids that if I just show up to life, then life deserves to give me something. That's not right. Thank God my son found a a, a soccer coach and a soccer team that even when no one else is keeping score, we keep score. 
Shout out, coaches in the house. Praise God. I mean, we put the team above everything. I'm like, coach, take him out. Take my kid out. Take him out. We got to win this one, okay? This undefeated streak, it's got to keep going. Please take him out. I mean, it's like, it's, we're serious about this. Because you got to, everybody doesn't just get to play. You should have the talent to play. You sh- I don't know if everybody agrees in here because I can feel the tension in the room. I mean, s- some of y'all like have 97 participation trophies on your mantle, and that's good, but like it's better to have a first place one. It's just, I don't know, it's just better to win. Like, I don't want my kid growing up and being like, I got a paycheck, like, oh, I'm doing great. Like, life, life should give me what I deserve. Oh, what? no, I want him to know that they're, listen, if you don't teach him as kids, I'm just going to tell you, life will teach him. There's not bosses that are saying, you know what, I'm going to give you a participation trophy. No, it's called severance. That, I mean, sometimes you just got to, like, grow the kid up to say there's winners and losers. and Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. I am not one of those parents that wrestle with my kids and all the time let them win. Every once in a while, I just got to hold you down and just make him make sure he knows that I can. Otherwise, he is going to walk through life with this inflated sense of strength, and he is going to get whooped someday by someone because he thought he was stronger than the universe. So every once in a while, I just got to get one in one hand and one in the other and just, I'm your dad, I love you, and now I'm going to let you win. And then we go. Because I want them to know. Now, the problem with participation trophies is that you really don't know who wins or not. And, and the way that worship is a priority, what's happened with worship has happened in sports, is we want to give people participation trophies for, like, showing up at church. And we're just like, yeah, you're doing great. You're here. This, this, this is awesome. You, you, you showed up. But I'm just going to tell you this. You can't share a throne. Well, you know what? You gave God Sundays. That's awesome. No, if someone else is on the throne every other day of the week, you don't get a participation trophy. No, I'm telling you, God wants all of you. He wants every day. He wants every hour. Worship is about priority. And whoever is the priority gets your worship. And if it's Sunday, something else other than church. If it's Monday, something else other than God. If it's Tuesday, something else other than your quiet time. Something else is grabbing your worship. We can say all we want, God has my worship, but the worship is proven by what we adore. Worship is proven by what we give time to. Worship is proven by what we give worth to. You can gauge the value of a priority by what it takes to replace it. You you can gauge how much it means by what it takes to replace it. You ever, you ever had, had plans, you know, you're doing something, you're busy, someone asks you to do something, sorry, we're busy, and then someone asks you to do something like, 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 like way better. I mean, like way better, like, 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 hey, Christmas Eve, you know, you got plans, yeah, I'm preaching six, six times, cool, um, what are you doing afterwards? I'm going to sleep for about 24 hours, awesome, do you want to go to the Dallas-Seattle game? Yes. I mean, you can gauge priority by what it takes to replace it. Let me ask you this. What's replacing worship? Not songs. What's replacing worship? What's getting in the way 
of him being the king of our life. Worship is declaring that God is in the first place. He's, in the, he's not a participator in our life. He's in the first place of our life. Priorities are proven by what place we give them in our lives. Priorities are seen by what we do, not what we say or what we sing. Not, not by what we say or what we sing, it's what we do. It's worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a priority, and let me just say it this way, you also have a test of worship. You got the priority of worship, but you also have the test of worship. Now, nobody likes to talk about this, but this is just the truth, that whenever you try to worship something, it will be tested. If you're ever trying to dethrone one thing in your life and put something else on the throne, it will be tested. It's not going to go silently. Herod wasn't about to go silently. And if you know history, Herod didn't go silently. When he found out that Jesus was born and he could not find him and he could not worship him, he sent out a decree that every child under two years old in that area would have to be killed. He said, if I, if I can't find him by finding him individually, I will take out his age group corporately. This is why the enemy will focus on entire generations to take out. Because he knows hidden among you is a deliverer. He knows hidden among you is someone who will make a stand. He knows hidden among you is someone who will make a difference. And so the enemy will have an onslaught on an entire generation and try to take them out and try to silence them and try to get on the throne of their lives. I'm just going to tell you, the enemy does not care at all if you say you worship God as long as he knows in his heart and in your heart that his your time and your devotion and your affection really is to something other than God. It's actually safer to have you say that you worship and not worship than it is to be one way or the other. It is safer for the enemy, for you to be lukewarm, to feel like you're a participator but you're not all in. God only works when he's in the first place. He, he's, not a, he's not someone that works in second, third, or fourth. He only works when he's number one. The true test of worship is what gets your attention in trouble. That, that's, that's the truth. Not, not when everything's going great and you're, they're playing your favorite song and it's Christmas time and everything's awesome. The true test of worship is when trouble hits you. And what you do when trouble hits you. Herod went into attack mode to eliminate any challenge to his place or to his throne. Herod said he wanted to worship, but he really wanted to steal the worship for himself. Herod was willing to do anything not to lose his place in the people's hearts. Can I just tell you something about life? Life will do anything possible to not lose the place of priority in your life to God. Have you ever tried it? You, you, have, you ever felt that tension? You ever felt that attack? It's like, all right, that's it. God, you're going to be number one. And then like all hell breaks loose. Why? Because this is the test of worship. Can you worship in trouble? Can, can, can you put him on the throne even if it's going to mean persecution for you? Can you put him on the throne even if it means trouble for you? There is always, always, in history, there's always been a fight over worship. Did you know the way that Satan got thrown out of heaven was because he wasn't willing to make God the first place and he said, I wanted some of the worship. He said that I, Lucifer, this is in your Bible, Lucifer tried to count himself as equal to God, saying that God wasn't worthy, that he was just a part 
of his life. He wasn't everything. And the Bible says that's when God threw Lucifer out of heaven with one-third of the angels, which are now demonic forces that are on the earth. I know I'm freaking somebody out. That's all right. It's, it's, it's in your Bible. Uh, but, but good news, two-thirds angels, one-third demons. That means they're outnumbered, so that's good. And so take that, take that comfort for you. Um, but it's real. It's real. Why did God have to throw Lucifer down? Is because Lucifer refused to give up place to God. There, there was a conflict of worship. There was a conflict of who would be number one. The test of worship. The key of worship is the last one. The key of worship. Herod wanted to kill Jesus because he understood kingdom and knew that there could only be one king of the Jews. One of the enemy's chief goals is to try to kill your faith in God. That is one of the enemy's chief goals is to try to get you to put something else as number one. Try to get you to trust your money. Try to get you to trust your influence. Try to get you to trust your history. Try to get you to, get you to trust your discipline. Try to get you to trust all the good things that you've done for God. Try to get you to trust anything but him. I'm going to tell you, if you're ever going to make progress with God, you're going to have to leave something and you're going to have to cleave to something else. This is how this works. When you're taking a step, you have to leave one step in order to go to the next step. Most people don't have the faith to leave what, where they've been to get to where God's taking them. But I'm going to tell you something that's powerful about a step of faith is when you have to take a step of faith and you have to leave what you've been on, the only thing that you can cling to is him. That's why in worship, it is so powerful. When you're in the fight of your life, you've got to take hold of him. You've got to leave comfort. You've got to leave what you've always known because in that place where you're wobbly, in that place where you're, where you're not sturdy, where that place where you're threatened, where the, in that place where you have trouble is when you choose to worship him, everything begins to change. God's drawn to worship. God loves worshipers. I've had people that have come I mean, this happens like multiple times a week. People come into my office and they'll say this. They'll say, wow, it's really peaceful in here. You know why it's peaceful in there? Because I worship in there. I'm not trying to be super spiritual or freak you out, but it's peaceful in there because I worship in there. Worship draws God into your situation. The key of worship, I'm going to tell you, let me switch it around. Worship is the key. There is not a key of worship. Actually, worship is the key. It is the key to every trouble. It is the key to every trial. It is the key to every storm. It is the key to every crisis. Worship is the key. What does that mean? When I begin to worship God, I get my mind off the trouble. I get my mind off the pain, and I get my eyes on him. I take my pain off the throne, and I put him on it. God, you alone reign on this heart. You alone reign in this life. Even though my intellect, even though my education, even though my experience says I should lean on something else or lean on something more sturdy, I am going to choose worship as my key. I am going to choose worship as my rhythm. I am going to choose worship in everything that I do. And I want to encourage you that worship is the thing that will change your life. Worship is the thing that will change your situation. We've been talking about it for three weeks, but I'm going to tell you worship is your key. You're struggling, worship. You're dry, worship. You're bitter, worship. You're in pain, worship. What does that mean? Sing a song? No. Move the eyes of your heart 
to God. Take yourself off the throne. Take yourself off of your throne of your life and put God on it. Dethrone Herod in every area of your thinking, in every area of your living. People say, well, you know, I, I like to praise God. Let me, let me just tell you what praise is. Praise thanks God for what he has done. Worship thanks God for who he is. This is the difference. I love praising. I love praising that, that I've got a beautiful wife. I love praising that I have a blessed family. I love praising that i got two awesome boys. I love praising that we have an amazing church. That's praising. I'm thanking God for what he's done. Worship is I begin to thank him and see him for who he is. I begin to set my eyes on who God is, especially in trouble, especially in difficult situations. I just choose to look at him and to see him. Read scriptures like where perfect love casts out all fear. What can separate me from the love of God? Neither, and the list goes on. I begin to look at these things and think on these things. In the Old Testament, they would always send the worshipers first. This is wild. This is so backwards. Because in a fight, you think, let's send, let's send the warriors in. Let's send the special forces in. But they knew a key. They knew a key, and the key was worship. So they said, let's send the worshipers first. Let's send the word. Listen, this is what you've got to decide, and I've got to decide in my life, is that I've got to send worship first. Before I fight, before I react, before I respond, I've got to send worship first. When I feel anxious, when I feel tired, when I feel exhausted, I've got to send worship first. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Worship is your key. It is your access. And I'm just going to tell you, sometimes life will hit you in such a way, it'll cripple you in such a way that the only thing you can do is worship your way through. And I need some believers at church 1132 to make a decision that I'm going to worship my way through. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to be mad about it. I'm not going to get bitter about it. I've made up my mind that he is on the throne of my life and I'm about to worship through it. Through it. Psalm chapter 34 verse 3 in the New King James Version says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. How, do, how is worship a key? Worship magnifies God. Oh, so it makes God bigger than what he is. No, no, no. Worship magnifies God by drawing us near to God so that we can see how big he already is. The difficulty is that many of us compare our problems to God and the problem is close and God is far. Distance causes things to diminish in size. In the perspective, it doesn't mean that they're smaller, but my perspective is it's smaller. So every time I choose to worship, it draws me closer to God and closer to God and the closer I get to him, the bigger I see that he is. And the smaller my problem is. The problem is we're close to the problem. And we're far from him. That's why worship is the key. Worship is the thing that draws you close. 
so you can see him for who he is. I mean, that bill looks massive until you draw close and you see how big he is and how strong he is. And then it's like, wait, that problem was about to take the throne of my life. But when I worshiped, I saw how big he is. I saw how good he is. So whether you're here, whether you're in Wiley, whether you're just watching online, wherever you are, I'm telling you, worship is your key. I don't really like singing, Pastor. I didn't say singing's your key. I said worship is your key. The the songs are too loud. I can't. No, no, I'm not talking about the volume. I'm talking about the volume of your own heart that says, God, come hell or high water. My eyes are fixed. You're my king. You're my savior. You're my Lord. I dethrone every other thought. I dethrone every other desire. I dethrone every contending force. I dethrone any competition. You alone reign on the throne of my heart. When I was 22 years old, I, I had a friend. He's a year older than me. He's 23. We played basketball together. Played in a, in a city league, and, and he was one of the best. He was just one of the best three-point shooters I ever met. I mean, just he was just insane three-point shooter. And, and I mean, he just just three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer. He was phenomenal. And we got to be pretty good friends. And he would struggle with seizures. He'd have these seizures, uncontrollable seizures, and happened a couple times on the basketball court. And uh, so they talked about maybe he shouldn't play anymore. And, and uh, they, they couldn't find out a, a reason. And I'm not trying to make anybody, you know, real sad today, but I, I want to I share something with you. Is one of these times he had a seizure and he ended up passing away when he was 23. And it did something to me. It, it just, tragedy has this way of making you doubt things that you were sure of before. Like, God's good. God's in control. God wants to heal. All of a sudden, in trial, all of the things that you were so confident of and that you would tell other people, but when you go through it, all of a sudden, it just, it just shakes you. And I remember, I was in my room, actually in the garage that I converted into a room, and, and I'm in that room, And I turned on some worship music, and I began to just turn my heart towards God. I remember thinking, I don't think I'll like recover from this. We weren't best friends, but we were close. Just when something like that touches so close to you, it it shakes you in a way. And I remember thinking, like, man, like I'd already been preaching for years at this point, but it just shook my theology on how I should say things or what I should say or how I should preach it or what I should preach. And I just begin to think like, God, like, where are you? And it's amazing what happened when I begin to worship. When I begin to worship, I begin to see him. It, you know what's interesting? The pain didn't go away. I was still sad. I was still grieved. I still missed him. But I saw him. And I'm going to tell you, when you see him, it does something. Um, I can't explain it to you if you've never experienced it. All I can do is try to encourage you to try to experience it, to begin to worship and draw near because it'll shift something. I, I, I didn't stop grieving, but it was like the pain left. I, I, I was still sad, but it was like the sting left. Worship has this way of drawing you into the presence of God. And when you see Him, you leave that place actually thinking, I can do this. 
I can make it. God, you are big. You are in control. You're going to lead me through this. You're going to make a way where there seems to be no way. You're going to provide for me. You're going to heal my heart. You're going to heal my friend's family. God, you can do it. There is something about worship that draws us close to God and releases this revelation that it's going to be all right. That it's going to be okay. Let me just say it this way. We have to dethrone Herod from every area of our life. I know we live in a culture of participation trophies, but with God there is no participation trophy. It's just him or not. It, 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 can't, just, it can't be him when you really need it and everything else. It's got to be him. I, I, I know it's serious. It's like really sounds all or nothing. That's exactly what it is. It really is all or nothing. But I'm going to tell you, worship will always be tested. Worship has to be a priority, but worship is your key. Let me say it this way. Insert worship into your problem and watch it unlock. Wherever the problem is, insert worship like a key. Insert worship like a key and watch your problem unlock. So if I worship, everything's going to get better. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen to the circumstance, but something's going to happen in your heart. And that thing is going to begin to unlock. And all of a sudden, the thing that was so terrible and was drowning you in your own trouble and in your own mourning and your own grief, all of a sudden, something's going to shift because perspective is everything. And when we see him for who he is, it will change us. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's make God big. Let's make him who he really is. Let's draw near so we see his power and we see his strength. I'm going to close in just a minute, but I want to dethrone personally and corporately. I want us to dethrone everything that's getting in the way of wholehearted commitment to King Jesus. He is the King of the Jews, and there can only be one King. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the hope of the world. That's what Christmas is all about. The entrance of the most pivotal person in history. To come into this world and to love sinners. To love good people, bad people. To love every type of people and every type of person. That's why we have Christmas. Her people say, well, I don't really want to celebrate Christmas because Jesus wasn't actually born on Christmas. I don't care when he was born. I really don't. I'm just grateful he was born. So you can debate all you want if it's the 25th or it's December or spring. What You can debate it all you want. I'm just happy he was born. Because him being born means that I could break up with the kings that have ruled me for years. And I could come into the presence of a new king and a new savior that does not rule with rules and with decrees and with punishment and consequences. He rules with grace. That is the king of the Jews. He says, I see you in your situation. I see you in your struggle. And if you can get your eyes off your problem and your eyes onto me, I will shift something inside of you. I will be the key that will unlock your problem. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.